1: Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Kodiak Shack podcast. Uh, today, we have Dijam from Grid Raster, which is working on uh, some AR, VR, uh technology with uh, Ospreys, some robotics, uh, some Space Force stuff, so really cool stuff that we've got them here. We've got Bender also uh, helping ask those hard-hitting questions that we always mm-hmm. do, uh, not knowing really anything about VR, AR, XR. Uh, so, Dijam, thank you very much for, uh, for being here today, and uh, go ahead and tell us about yourself.
2: Well, thank you, Vader and Bender, to have, have me here. really appreciate the opportunity uh, here. Yeah, no, um, I'm one of the co-founders of Grid Raster. Um, Currently take care of all the business development, uh, product marketing, and partnership for the company. Um, And at at Grid Raster, um, uh, we are are powering in the the cloud-based augmented reality and virtual reality. Most of the people are used to seeing those headsets where everything kind of runs. We, We believe that that's not how things will go really mainstream or scale up so we are bringing in the cloud to act as a co-processor to those devices and power those you know high performance high precision scalable and you know configurable experiences which otherwise is not possible so we have been working with a lot of aerospace defense and automotive and telecom companies on the commercial side and uh, beginning to find our uh, footholds within the dod um, helping some of the some of the uh, customers within like Warner Robins and CV22 program office with some of the challenges they have. Um, So we are looking for, I'm looking forward to the conversation.
1: Nice. Well, and it immediately makes me think of, you know, if you're running a VR headset and you're trying to get high fidelity, high quality stuff, you're limited by what's housed on that VR headset, where if you're running it on the cloud, you can have a lot more Power behind your computing and processing. I assume that's the case, which is why you're doing that.
2: No, absolutely, that's that's the beginning uh, of everything. What is there? The the thing is, um, everybody's kind of starts about VR. It's all in on the visualization part of it. Like and visualization, so happens is the is the fundamental part that you're trying to do. But there's there's a lot of scope that comes in terms of how do you take this new medium where you are capturing all this data for the first time and utilize other capabilities that is available, right, the AI, you know, and all those capability bring together different sensors to make certain things more contextual and more situational. You know, all those things is only feasible um, if you're kind of leaning on, uh, you know, the cloud, which provides you almost like infinite computing resources to do things what you want and scale this across time and space, you're no more bounded by like, you know, you have to do there, right? So there's a lot of additional benefit that comes with, uh, you know, the the cloud. But in the larger picture, what you're actually seeing, there's a good convergence that is happening of the different technologies, right? With AR and VR, AI, cloud, and then also a lot of sensor uh, evolution that is happening. So we are taking advantage of some of that to make whatever we are making possible.
1: Yeah, nice. So the uh, so what you can kind of find online and what I was looking at was your uh, Osprey uh, contract, right, with the Cyber yeah. Two through uh, through Afworks. And uh, so That's now correct. you're wor- you're working on the the maintenance side, right? The the maintainers uh, AR uh, possibilities
2: yeah absolutely so uh, from from a company perspective in terms of the use case um, you know since we 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 bring in the infrastructure component right bringing in the cloud and other aspects so we are applying that into multiple use cases the osprey happens to be where we are doing the repair and maintenance aspects one of the repair and maintenance aspect around the Nassau wiring harness, which is one of the biggest uh, performance degrader when it comes to the whole maintenance work. But we do also work across the product lifecycle, like on the manufacturing with some of the top two primes. And we also work on the, you know, the training with our uh, cloud environment. We are able to bring that high-fidelity simulations and training with Multiple users across different location playing that role, but yeah. Nice. But with the with the with the with the phase two that we have with AFSOC and the CV22 program office today through AppWorks, uh, we are kind of bringing our capability to do you know high precision you know alignment of the wearing harness you know the virtual wearing harness and provide spatial instructions to the maintainer to be able to do the task faster and better, and, you know, almost kind of remove error um, in the process. So, yeah.
1: Well, and yeah, now, I mean, I assume their TOs or tech orders are similar to like the F-16 ones. Uh, Another aircraft are, it's a PDF on a tablet that they kind of scroll through (laughs) and they're like, okay, step one, step two. And now taking that to the VR or AR space in this case, And it's got to just be more so much more tangible, you know, especially for like someone who's spatially minded and they they can see it on the machine. Uh, How do you get the fidelity? Because a lot of the times they talk about like laser mapping of Mm -hmm. the entire thing. Is that how you're kind of doing it? Laser mapping kind of each section of the engine as you break it down?
2: Uh, yes. Yeah. So what we have done for this project, uh, you know, we we have used the lidar scanner to scan the whole, um, you know, the area of interest. We didn't really scan the entire aircraft; it's not needed. But the wearing harness, the section that we needed to perform this, we did kind of use the lidar cameras to kind of capture it and create a corresponding model, high fidelity model of that. Um, the interesting thing with this, um, with this. Um, project or that we are doing was the the scanning that we did is essentially this is for you know the machine the the AI algorithms to be able to detect you know where is the wearing harness where are the clamps you know all that to be detected um, and not necessarily it requires it requires a different fidelity than what a human vision will require like um, you know maybe if it is a training environment that's a separate story but it's we did scan using the LIDAR, but not necessarily we created a fidelity that is required from a human vision point of view. It was more around, you know, the machine guiding you through those steps. So that is where uh, we kind of utilize it uh, for this project. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, the so it's funny because uh, so I, right now I'm going through a, a transition course for the uh, F-15C Uh, and Mm -hmm. you get a lot of academics. I think I'm here for about, uh, three or four months and I get, uh, like 200 and some hours of just academics sitting in a classroom and you go over the systems much like, you know, maintenance, working on these motors and, uh, what just so everybody kind of sees what, what I am seeing. So I'm in an auditorium type room with a projector and, um, I see the hydraulic system or the fuel system and it's a two dimensional picture, uh, of this very three dimensional, uh, system. And I just yep. imagine now having kind of looked at the innovation space, like Bender think back to when we were going through these academics. And if, instead of looking at a PowerPoint of the systems, I'm walking around a real or a AR or a VR jet and seeing the system where it physically is in the airplane and seeing how they actually move like that understanding taking it from a two dimensional presentation to a three dimensional interactive experience. Like talk about really understanding how these systems work and work together. I, you know, I was like, dang, people need to make a AR or VR version of these systems academics because it would, it would, it would change the way the end user, the operator, the pilot side really understands when they have an emergency and something breaks, where is it, what does it look like? How is it actually affecting the airplane? So uh, I appreciate that you're you're doing these things and you're giving that kind of fidelity because I think there's a ton of use cases for them. So thank you for that.
2: No, it's, it, it's happening. It's work, It's it's absolutely a work in progress. And we, we are glad to kind of see that, like we, even within the Air Force, I mean, the whole momentum has picked up so greatly. And to, to large, to, to the large extent, it's happening because the initial re- results have been just absolutely mind-blowing, right? Yeah. Um, the the idea here is, um, you know, you, the idea here is almost you're taking a physical hardware asset and creating a digital copy of it and just saying that I, I want to do whatever I want to play around and learn, you know, at my own pace because everybody learns differently, right? So. It, that flexibility, that ability that you can simulate things, not only from a manufacturing alone, but from an operation angle, from a sustainment angle, and all of that you can do without risking any asset, without risking any personal, you know, that's that's humongous. And it's already yeah. proven, right? It's like 85% more effective in terms of retention compared to any video-based training. So, here, yeah. That's it. It's it's a case in uh, uh, that, that the, those data points are just completely mind boggling.
1: Yeah. When you think, I mean, Bender and I, you know, and, and I think every profession has the requirement to l- be exposed to information and store it as fast as they, they can. And now we have technology that allows us to understand and process this information faster. So it's, it's only going to make the future better. And it sounds like AR, VR, XR, all of them, are just kind of exponentially getting better and better as the years go on, yeah. and, and so that's that's great. The uh, no, that's, so one, that's
2: oh, yeah, that, that's that's actually huge. Not just entire. If you look at the entire industrial landscape, uh, you are seeing that. Like if you if you I don't know if you see, saw the re- recent announcement, maybe six months back or something. When Boeing announced their the next design of their plane is going to be happening in the metaverse, right? Which is oh. nothing but you know that's convergence I was talking about uh, of AR, VR, cloud, and you know AI and all that put together. So, and more and more companies are kind of taking that path. And uh, not at all. At least for us, it's not at all surprising because we have been sold on this for the last seven years and left everything to start this company. So, <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, I'm glad you did. The uh, and Bender, <laughs> back back me up on this. So when I when I heard the robotics side, like the, the AR 4 robotics, it kind of blows my mind because I, I I struggle to like wrap my mind around exactly yeah. how that works. <laughs> I,
3: I can't make that at least not that visual connection in my mind. Yeah, explain so explain that so, one a little bit.
2: Yeah. yeah so yeah, and no, just just for the larger audience, like uh, we we kind of recently won a um, you know award. Uh, from Advanced Robotics for Manufacturing Institute, which is bas- basically funded by AFRL, it's all about using AR to improve the, the 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 maintainability and the repairability of the assets, particularly in the in the manufacturing uh, floor. Um, so. You know, we, we all, as I, I was saying, like everybody talks about AR, VR from, you know, human vision point of view. But uh, a large part of that uh, sustainment and manufacturing effort is more and more is being is to be done by the machines. And in this case, it's it's the robots. Uh, we are working with the One Robins Sustainment Depot, where they're basically using robots to kind of do, paint masking, you know, painting of the, the assets and repair, all, all the kind of repair that's kind of happening, right? So in this uh, specific uh, project, we are basically uh, using, um, and today the way it is done is pretty manual. It takes a really long, a lot of time, uh, it's it quite costly overall. And we are basically bringing in the the over-the-counter headsets like Oculus uh, Quest, uh, particularly in this case, we are doing the HoloLens. We are basically, we're bringing in the HoloLens and, Using the HoloLens, we are able to kind of scan a large structure and provide the corresponding coordinates in the three dimension uh, to the robotic arm, which is supposed to kind of perform that task. In in this case, it's like painting of that larger dome, which needs to be performed by the uh, robotic arm. We are able to use our capability um, uh, using AR and VR and 3D AI provide that uh, 3d's uh, the the 3d um, uh, model of that with accurate coordinates with the precision of into millimeters which which that coordinate system is now passed on to the robot and the robotic arm then comes and perform the task which needs to be done right and this whole process which has been manual is being automated just by using this hololens and we are expecting almost like maybe we'll save at the time we'll, we'll do that in one eighth of the time what's being done today. So th- that's huge. I mean, yeah. that's, that's one of the, one of the examples. Uh, but the idea here is the overall system that we are building, while we are kind of using that as a representative use case to do that, but the overall system that we will build here is designed from an angle that it will allow any, um, you know, uh, human to kind of, uh, interact with that whole digital data in a very seamless and intuitive way and share this across time and space. It could, you could be in different places, right? Um, And you you can do that in a different time. Like, you know, even you can kind of experience all that between all that interaction between the humans, the, the, the machine, and also the entire manufacturing process. So, that's the piece that we are kind of doing right now. And it's, it's going to be kind of more and more prevalent across any sustainment center, any manufacturing uh, centers actually.
1: Oh, well the, so I always wonder how uh, the computer using the clear lens gets range. Is it using like a LIDAR or is it literally just taking that kind of like photo optic assessment of, Hey, this, this is farther away because of this, the, just the kind of no, it's, physical it's a, reference,
2: and that's, that's yeah, that's the beauty about you know the, the the evolution of the technology or the headsets that's kind of coming in, right? The Hololens today has uh, both the the RGB camera and the depth sensing camera so I you basically make use of those sensor data to kind of create and fuse those information create the you know the mesh of a digital mesh of it and create the corresponding model that is kind of required for the robotic arm to perform a certain task uh so and and you you no more have to have those custom dedicated you know scanners which you which would cost you maybe twenty, thirty thousand k you can do that with the maybe three thousand hololens which will continue to reduce in cost right i mean that's yeah. that's the beauty about uh, using a commercial uh available technology that the cost over a time is going to reduce further and further and then you're able to kind of scale that deployment as you see success with the, the initial deployments yeah
1: that's, I don't know. It seems, uh, I was just talking with Bender and our buddy Rain on a different podcast about how there used to be those commercials of like, this isn't science fiction. This is like, <laughs> you know, reality. And now like, again, over and over, we just see stuff where we're like, that doesn't seem like it should happen, but it just does. So what is kind of the, in the background, like how, how difficult of the lift is that for you guys to make that software, run that AI mm-hmm. To actually produce these these results, like is that is that a challenge? I would
2: assume. I mean, it just it just it has took us almost like five to six years of effort to where we are today. Um, that we can make that uh, you know seamlessly happen almost real time. Okay, so. We we take the we take the the burden there uh, from um, our end users and make that um, make make that available in real time to be done, and um, um, particularly for us, uh, you know, there are three. Three primary layers of core IPs that is kind of involved in kind of doing that. You know, first is our ability that um, you know we are able to create those high fidelity uh, visualizations using the cloud infrastructure because we can create the fine dense of the mesh uh, that is required for this accuracy. Second is our 3D AI algorithms which can kind of precisely track um, you know every object and identify. All the objects that is there in the scene, and then you know simulate whatever the actions and the motions that needs to be kind of performed. Uh, and, and the third is you know take both those capabilities and make it you know scale in any system, like whether it's an on-prem structure or or any public cloud environment or a private cloud environment or even a hybrid of those cloud environments, we can make that scale uh, seamlessly. So. Yeah. So a lot of that, uh, infrastructure act has happened, uh, at the back of over the, over the last five to six years of our effort.
3: So that brings huh. up my question, if you don't mind Vader. So oh, yeah. how did you guys like, I would Vader and I, and I assume most the people, in there, I mean, we would never think, you know, in a million years, like, Oh, this would be really cool. if This has happened. Let's go find, maybe there's a company out there that like is kind of working on this. Let's reach out and contact them so we wouldn't make that happen so who how did you get connected to the especially with this let's just specifically talk about the the robot um yeah I'm like afrl yeah like who reached out to you or did you see that there was this requirement and you're like hey like we could do some awesome here how did that process kind of go down
2: yeah the interesting thing is you know so for us as as a background right like we have gone through this whole journey of you know voice video and voice over ip and we know that you know the 3D world is going to be the next environment, right? The next computing platform is going to be AR, VR, and, and the convergence of the different technologies. For this specific case, well, we had the capability of kind of scanning, you know, the large objects, right? And we can do that like instantaneously with very, very accurate, creating the accurate mesh. So we we saw, I mean, uh, a focus area, which was put forward by Afworks, where it was a large area scanning was one of the focus areas. And we reach out to the TPOPC there, who, who, who happened to be Shane uh, Shane Groves, who has been like immense in terms of his uh, in- innovation, uh, direction and vision. You know, we reached out to him and then we had an initial conversation and he said that what we were saying is too good to be true. He needs to see it to believe it. So we said, no, it makes sense and and we always believe this is something to be seen and believed. (laughs) So we really went down to Warner Robins and then we demonstrated our capability and um, we could do that without any, uh, mostly with the AI models and all, you would need training of the algorithms. Uh, So we went there and we kind of demonstrated that with a large uh, you know structure there and we could show that that the accuracy, what we could bring in is almost like half an inch without any training of the AI algorithms, which was better than what was kind of already prevalent. And that basically kind of uh, spurred all the conversations. And then um, we we learned about this project came in through the advanced robotics from manufacturing. And then we said, OK, this was this was a requirement which is coming to be happening there. So we kind of went after that proposal. And, and the good thing is, you know, and which is, a, you know, immense validation of what we are doing was this opportunity was not a small business initiative. This was open to all and all industry. And uh, uh, since we had the core capability, and this is what we have been kind of building for the last five, six years. So we beat off the competition from s- some of the top, top primes, you know, uh, you, you know them pretty well uh, to kind of win this. Uh, so it was no small small innovation research. It was an absolute cutthroat, you know, yeah. competition based on, you know, absolutely the, the data points that we have with the validation that we created. So, you know, that's how we kind of got this opportunity. And now we are in the process of kind of making that happen. Uh, it's it's over four years. It's a quite a big project. <laughs> yeah. uh, but we'll, 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 we'll go. We are uh, gradually going uh, to establish all of that.
3: Yeah. Uh, my guess is that the demand for what you're doing is going to
2: far outpace your
3: ability to because even me like pretty limited you know understanding the processes yeah, but I can think of like three things that might be. I'm at Hill Air Force Base which has a huge maintenance mm-hmm. depot for all the fighters but mm-hmm. I'm like they would like knock down you know walls to come find your stuff and, you know what I mean <laughs> to like use it so I, my guess is that you're just going to get I, I would think that in the DOD at least that tons of people hearing about this would be interested in you know
2: the yeah, applications of it no, absolutely we, we are already seeing some interest because when we had the kickoff of the project we had also people from like different uh, agencies kind of join in even other uh, air force organization join in we are we are having some of those conversation because some of the specific problems could be different for different, um, uh, you know, same same capability, the 3DI capability, not necessarily from a robotic angle. It could be also utilized for other purposes. Like, for example, I can give you one of the discussion that we had with the, the one of the um, uh, Air Force agency was around holographic inspection of the defects, right? If you have the ability, like I'm, I'm sure, like when the maintenance happens, if there are a lot of, uh, spaces where not necessarily pretty, uh, you know, it's not an easy thing for a human to go in and, you know, try to do certain things for a long time. If there is a way you can really scan that in a way that you can create it so uh, accurate representation of it and you have the corresponding CAD models available. And if you kind of diff that both with and with the accuracy that we have, which is like millimeters, you can pretty much kind of point out where the defects are. And then the human who ultimately will go and act on it just focuses on where the defects are, yeah. without spending time on scanning and all. So we are having pretty interesting conversations around different problems, and all these problems we will never learn like sitting here. It's only because of the end users and those conversations we are learning to, we are beginning to learn that and apply this technology to how to solve that. So, yeah, no, mm-hmm. there, there's pretty interesting conversations happening there.
1: Yeah. When you too. think, when you think like. You know, back in the old days when it's it's dirty jets and they're they're all like ah it'll be fine with huge radar cross sections and now we're talking about like super like refined ways of ensuring there's no impurities in these like surfaces of platforms and you're like I can see there's there's definitely like a very good use for this kind of technology. One of the things that always kind of baffles me is. Uh, and people use it all the time, like because you're in the in the industry, it's training AI, and as a person who's not like doesn't work with AI, it's like what do you mean <laughs> training AI so like can you explain like uh how how you train an AI to do these things?
2: Yes, yeah, so, so I mean just just I mean as with humans right like we 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 see things, and you know the more and more we repeat, we get better at that, you know. From a, from a machine perspective, but the one thing we are good at, that if you have seen something, we just go, you put, the, put us back in that environment uh you know we can quickly know what it is like i mean and that's how like
0: say goodbye to your credit card rewards greedy corporate mega stores led by walmart and target are pushing for a law in congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets the durbin marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it if you love your credit card rewards tell your lawmakers hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durban Marshall credit card bill.
2: But the AI's kind of work a little differently there. They need l- more data points. You know, you you try to give them a l- lot of data points to get acquainted with the same thing, but it happens very fast. So, uh, for example, like in, in, in case of the the, the CV22 wearing harness that we are doing. In order for the AI to kind of know that, okay, here is the you know, varying harness of interest, it needs to first also understand the environment because it has to find all the different points of uh, interest and you know, based on which, and that, those are the points that you need to train and let them, let the AI know. Basically, you label it. You say, no, this is the harness. This is not a harness, right? So you go through that process, and the humans have to do that initially. The, the few things that I mean, the, one of the core IPs for us has been there. Like in case of like the Googles of the world who kind of go and you know go in the road and collect like millions of millions terabytes of data to kind of train something in this kind of environment, you don't have that much data, right? So what we do is we we do the scan of it and then we use that scan to generate artificial uh, simulate to generate artificial data, which is again, then used to train those algorithms and Then the algorithms are able to recognize, okay, here is the wiring harness, here is the clamp, here is what, and when you next time you go and align it there, they will identify on their own. And the beauty about like the the solution that we have more and user uses our um, algorithm or um, our solution It keeps on kind of learning. It's like a, you know, uh, it's a continuous learning. It happens, it gets more and more accurate at it. So every data that we take, we see it as an input to kind of process and improve the algorithm. And that's something which is like unique to, you know, the machine learning part of it, right?
1: Yeah, hopefully it doesn't learn from humans or it'll get some bad habits. You
2: know? <laughs> now that's a different concern, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, till, till now, I think uh, those concerns are quite far off, but there is a possibility. Uh, but they're really too far off, really, honestly. Yeah.
1: Well, I think that's that's one of the the things I, I talked about this in a previous episode, but I learned it a long time ago. Where they said, kind of, you know, I got told by an instructor because I typed in the wrong thing in the airplane, and he said, "Garbage in, garbage out." Uh, <laughs> and I think that's the thing. Like, if you get give an AI good information, it's going to yeah. do really well. But if you give it bad yeah. info, then you know it, it may not do as well. But
2: it's so it's the, the the omelet is as good as the egg, right? Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. Well, and that's, and that's one of the things that it's when I think of a computer, I think of something that I interact with and it just does very scripted things. You know, I put an input Mm -hmm. to my laptop and my laptop will give me a consistent output, no matter what inputs I put up provide, but AI it's, it's learning, it's taking these things in and it is making in the future, different decisions based on the recent history or what it's experienced in the past. And it, I don't know it's still i understand that i don't understand if that makes sense like it's just it's beyond my yeah. brain
2: but yeah so for for us i mean one of the unique ways i mean we we begin to kind of realize over the time is ai like we say like artificial intelligence but more or more or less like we, we see it has uh you know it's it's something to amplify our intelligence with, you know uh things that there are some things they are good at and we are good at some things uh, so decision-making, for example, we, we can do in a flash of a second, but, you know, there are certain things they will take quite a bit of time to do that. But if those information is provided in a way that we are quick in decision, those things, AI can really help do that. So, yeah, no, it's like a um, amplification of our intelligence uh, yeah. using AI. So, yeah.
1: Oh, that's wow. That's so cool. The uh, yeah. So you said you guys are working on some uh, Space Force stuff. So what are you doing with the Space Force?
2: yeah that's 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 the the area of interest like everybody has today yeah. right and <laughs> and it's not it's not surprising that you know ARBR has a unique role to play there. And most particularly, because um, space is an area where it's not like the humans or human operators are going to be there and going and flying in the space and fixing things up, right? Yeah. You pretty much are going to be reliant on you know the the space assets like the um, you know the spacecrafts. Autonomous, prim- most of them will be autonomous. But uh, there are certain things that autonomous spacecraft cannot do, like, you know, taking decisions in an uncertain environment. they do perform in very certain environments. Right. So that's where most of what the activity you're going to see in the future, um, what happens in the space is going to be, um, you know, it'll be autonomous spacecraft but most likely with a human in the loop basically you human will be a sup- supervisor taking some of the key decisions and some of the aspects would be kind of done autonomously right so well, the, the, the work that we are doing as part of this, uh, you know, STTR, I mean, there's a lot of, uh, uh, quite a bit of research involved and we have been working, we are, we are basically, um, you know, working with some of the acclaimed researchers in, you know, Colorado University, Boulder, and they, they have like immense background on astrodynamics and bioastronautics and phenomenal work there. So with the increased interest in the space from both like the civil national security and commercial reasons, plus, you know, all that increased activity, we have a problem that lies in front of us, which is a space debris problem, which A lot of us here cannot relate to we see the trash. That's a problem here in a different way. But there's a similar problem that is happening in the space, you know. But the challenge here is all those debris are flying at such a speed. It's almost like a bullet traveling. Right. So and it could be really damaging to any astronaut or any assets that go into 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 the space. Um, And the challenge is there's a lot of work beginning to happen to. But how do you kind of remove that problem, the space debris problem? So there is. So this uh, space uh, space which was uh, space force equivalent, similar to like Afworks, they came out of a solicitation station around orbital prime. So it was around like, you know, technologies that can really help uh, in that uh, on orbit uh, service, assembly and repair. The whole idea is, can we create something more sustainable and reducing this debris problem there? So, in that, I mean, all that till now, like why VR here? What does the VR has to do here, right? So the the, the unique thing here is like, whether it's an, an active every removal um, or any of that. So a lot of this, what action which needs to be created is, is in very uncertain territories, right? You have environmental factors change, which we don't have a control there. The bandwidth that is required, that kind of changes all that uncertainty that is involved. Uh, It is uh, and all that sensor data that comes in from a human perspective is almost impossible to kind of take decisions quickly what needs to be done. So what VR does in this scenario is you can really create all this uncertainty and simulate that uh, in a VR environment where the operator who's ultimately going to control the spacecrafts are going to be kind of trained by creating this uncertainty and all that, which will which will basically enable them to kind of improve, you know, their decision-making or the situational awareness uh, to make the right decisions when those events really happen. So it's all about using VR to effectively train the um, uh, the spacecraft operators um, uh, and then be able to create that environment and uncertainty, which will allow them to take the right decisions. As with anything, you get better at something if you repeat it. There's nothing, yeah. no replacement to reputation, right? That's practice, whatever we call it, right? And that's exactly what you are trying to do here using VR, but in a space environment. And we believe, considering that the humans are not going to be flying in the space trying to fix it, it's going to be one of the critical infrastructure that is required to actually accomplish the task that we are kind of thinking about, right? So that's where the VR comes in. So uh, this is a phase one. We are still kind of talking to multiple end users and, and Space Force. We have seen some interest there, uh, but um, we are we are basically working with them in terms of creating the feasibility and who is going to work there. So we already have a uh, demonstrable, uh, you know, um, and a basic uh, demonstration with the, with CU Boulder. And that's something that we are kind of utilizing it to talk to the different end users and see like, is there somebody who can really looking to utilize it in the short term but yeah but in the long term we believe that's that's going to be a critical uh, layer that is required
1: are you are you planning on doing like a like a ai or a randomizer where you can ha- kind of have an infinite amount of variables you know like if they make those classic choose your adventure books you know like hey they <laughs> made this decision they're going to do that or is it going to be very scripted
2: Uh, No, I think ultimately that's the goal. So there is obviously a simulation engine where there is going to be different variables. Uh, You're going to identify variables like the, you have the solar rotation, the the radiation pressure, you know, all those things, whatever vary in the space, you can really vary. And based on that, the spacecraft, like in terms of their approach to the certain object, you're there looking to uh, remove, or even in terms of uh, kind of uh, docking, like you're taking a position there. So there's, you can take the right decision what needs to be done, right? So yes. Yeah. So on on the on the simulation side, we are leaning on the expertise that the CU Boulder brings in in the astrodynamics, that's the astrodynamics part of it. And then we have a bio, so how how this VR is to be effectively used for training, that's the bio-astronautic um, part of it, like in space, how humans behave, and all those part, Nate, that's again the CU-Boulder piece. We bring in the, the capability from a like the VR point of view, like we can create high-fidelity physics simulations, which otherwise is not possible without the cloud environment we can bring in like multiple users, like whether you're talk of two, three or hundreds uh, to kind of collaborate in that same environment and be able to seamlessly change different scenes and position to see it from a different point of view and all those things. So yeah. we're gonna bring all that and obviously the 3D AI will come in uh, at some point, not right now, but you, where you can do the accurate overlays of any any virtual object on any physical assets at a millimeter precision. So. Uh, All of that is what we are going to bring in, uh, but yeah, but uh, we are not like space specialists. We, yeah. <laughs> we lead it to the, the experts there. Yeah.
1: Well, see, I heard Nat Bender. I don't know if you noticed this, but talking about trying to fly, you know, these spacecraft into position and stuff. Don't let those Space Force guys try to fly. You let you have them give <laughs> us a call, and we can we can fly pretty much anything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah awesome. But, oh man, well, that's you, wild my
3: problem, My issue is you skip. Well you you did, but like maintenance is awesome, like space is awesome. But Vader and I, we want you to help us find things to kill uh um, yeah. more accurately. So we gotta figure out how to how to bring that in here. So it'd be awesome if you could take a Oculus headset from space, look down you know, at the area of interest and then quickly pass me some, you know, millimeter precise coordinates, which is great. <laughs> yeah. or, or I think time that's time also. Time I definitely <laughs> yeah.
1: think that's in the works. Yeah, <laughs> I'm um,
3: sure that's being
2: done. Yeah, yeah. Can't... I mean, I mean, there's a lot, a lot of scope here. Yeah, no, we we are taking, you know, baby steps. I mean, this technology is just kind of beginning to come up, right? So. Uh, what's possible. And, and most of the use cases today you are seeing is the use cases, things been done in 2d and people trying to reflect in 3d, but you begin, you'll begin to see use cases, which is only kind of conceivable in 3d. So that's, that's going to happen that slowly, uh, you know, things, all this kind of comes together. All those things are going to happen. And yep.
3: So, uh, how, so an object that's not moving. So to get it down to the millimeter precision, You know, overlays. Mm -hmm. So virtual overlays Mm -hmm. on an airplane, like you're talking about when we're talking about the How hard would virtual overlays on something that's moving? So, like, I have an F-35 wingman out there.
1: Mm
3: -hmm. I mean, you could theoretically put all sorts of, like, virtual overlays or whatever. However you're going to do it. How hard, I mean, is that just, like, leaps and bounds more difficult?
2: No, no, the thing is, we we can actually, in in an aircraft, we can, if you tell us, track this, 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 this parts, we can actually, even the aircraft is moving, we can track it. The only thing is, we haven't, like, tested that, you know, at Mm -hmm. what speed, those accuracy breaks and all, right? So, but in a, in a, in a normal kind of like a, um, you know, in a logistics center where things kind of move and you're tracking different parts as they move, even in the, in the robotic arm case, if you are kind of looking at different parts where you want to track for certain reasons, we, we can really track that. But, uh, but the speed at which, uh, you know, the, the F-16 and others will operate, um, I think that's, a, uh, uh, it's, it will be a function of, it's not only us, it will be a function of even the sensors, which is on the device, which we are basically leaning on to do quite a bit yeah. of thing. It's not something that's our expertise, right? And those sensors uh, capabilities are, will keep on kind of improving, and there's, you will have a day where you can do that, to the same millimeter precision. For us, if the sensor data can support us, we can do it. Cool.
1: Wow, cool. <laughs> well, would you say that's that's normally a limitation? Like when you're saying, "Hey, if you can get me this data, I can make this happen," yeah. and they're like, "We can't get you that data," or or the sensors pretty good now.
2: The sensors are for for largely most of the use cases. Sensors are pretty good. Um, uh, for example, like you know, there are there are use cases where you need to kind of drill a hole at you know one um, uh, almost like. Uh, um, one hundredth of a millimeter. I mean, those kind of precision, you can't do it today, because those are the things which is which We don't have that kind of precision today, right? So there'll be a day when those precision happen, even those use cases will open up. It's more around like today with even all the constraints that are there with the sensors, the optical pieces, and even like the headset being bulky or being $3,000, you know? But there is so much, there are use cases, the value that you get for that $3,000, if I can save like $100,000 by using a $3,000, it just makes a case for it. Right. So as as the kind of um, basically the the technology kind of keeps on improving, you'll make even the use cases which have high volume, but not necessarily, um, you know, uh, can work out with the price points that are today or even the use cases which requires technical uh, accuracy or some of that which is dependent, which may not be feasible today, but uh, but there are so many, it may be like 20% of the use case, but there is 80% of them, you just can just uh, make things better, faster, or, you know, cheaper, like everything you can do.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Is there is there a use case in using like the LIDAR and then the kind of the computer optics to assess stress on platforms and things? So to be able to look at maybe mechanical arms or things that are load-bearing and say like that is... That is a point that is experiencing abnormal amounts of stress and may fail.
2: No, I, 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 I so far as I know, there are companies which are working on that. Uh, oh, okay. Actually, it's all about like if so, it's just a function. As long as you you're, you have sensor which can kind of capture that like uh, that detail, you can always then use an AR can come to kind of sim, show you like you wear it and you just walk through it and it'll show if there is a let's suppose there is a pressure gauge and it's, it's kind of in a pressure limit, which is, uh, you know, if you either you have to go to a laptop to see, oh, it has exceeded something. You walk through and that is a reflector right in front of you and it will show you, it will turn red because it already knows the rule that if beyond this, the pressure is way too high, it should be red or yellow or all of that could be visually done. And that's what I was talking about. The same thing. Doing it visually kind of improves, uh, you know, things makes things so much more faster and uh, you know more efficient, right? So, uh, no, I, I know companies that are working on that, like simulating those things and then using AR to kind of walk through that. But that's not our yeah, uh, expertise. The core it doesn't really necessarily use our core ITs, but we can help if somebody is looking for. Yeah.
1: When our, what is what is kind of your longer term? So you know, obviously you have your your robotic side and you have your Space Force Mm -hmm. side, Uh, aside from those, do you have kind of a longer term perspective or goal that you guys are trying to move towards at GridRaster?
2: So for us, like, uh, we have always been kind of uh, seeing, you know, this um, augmented reality and virtual reality to overall go mainstream, uh, not only, Aerospace, defense, and automotive happens to be where the maximum value is seen today. But we see a lot of value even in medical simulations, right? Uh, you, 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 in, in education, it's phenomenal. As you, like like the way you you are training yourself or the pilots in in VR could be huge. Same thing can we go? Can you can take it to any STEM classes, right? Uh, even to the universities and all. And there are companies we are kind of working on, on that part as well. We, we bring the capability more from an infrastructure angle, right? Like if you have something that is working on a headset, now you want to kind of take that use case to hundreds and thousands and millions of users across different locations, and you want the performance, the accuracy, and the scalability, we can come in and make that happen for you. Right. So uh, our lo- larger goal is, you, 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 um, you know, there is going to be a, a metaverse more from an industrial angle, even from education and all of that. So we hope to kind of power that using our infrastructure uh, so that everybody can go mainstream and some of the performance and the precision and the scalability aspects, we can take care for them so that not everybody has to do and struggle with those aspects.
1: Uh, nice. Nice. Well, the, uh, well, Bender, any uh, parting shots before I uh, let Dijam go?
3: Well, I was going to ask, actually, how you – kind of your background, how you got – I know we talked a little bit about how you got started, but how, you and your partner, like, how did you guys meet and decide that this was what you were going to – like you said, right? You put away a different cure, and you're like, here we go.
2: <laughs> yeah. How did that yeah, happen? Yeah, no, the, at, at least like the, all the founders, we know each other for the last 24 years. So we did our undergrads together, people okay. went in different directions, uh, some continued in the PhD and all. But the one thing that has been common across all three of us has been we have been part of this whole uh, the the network, the mobile devices evolution. So I worked on the first mobile device with the dual core processors, which was Uh, done by Texas Instruments, so long back, right? So, but we have been part of this evolution that has happened on the device part of it, on the infrastructure part of it, and even on the cloud part of it. So over a time period, it's all about what are you enabling? Are you enabling the voice? Are you enabling the video? Are you enabling, you know, voice over IP with us And then it so happened in 2012, when we started working on 5G, one of the key requirements of the 5G was like, one of the key use cases of the 5G was, you know, augmented reality and virtual reality because it required low latency, humongous amount of data, then you are trying to move uh, those, um, you know, the compute closer to where the data is getting generated, right? That's where we got initially started working for kind of how that would be possible in the all the things that are coming together. So that those insights basically we pretty much kind of utilized to kind of start the company because we saw that there's never going to be a time when the devices would become so powerful that they can actually run immersive applications, right? Yeah, because if the form factor is small, uh, you are trying to cram in more and more compute, but the demand is like 100X more, it's never gonna happen. So where would that compute come from? And that's where the cloud was the answer. But the problem was, what about the latency? And we had those insights that like, what is happening? The cloud that we think of today, which is centralized, it's not how the cloud is going to be in the future. The cloud is going to be more like a hierarchy of compute. You have compute sitting on your house, base station of your telecom network, and then you have the co-location centers, then you have the centralized cloud that we see today. So we have, you know, those insights of how things are going to evolve, which basically, uh, where we kind of venture into kind of starting the company and kind of with our core expertise around that, we're starting breaking down some of those key technical challenges.
3: Hmm. That's pretty
2: wild.
1: That's, yeah, Way, <laughs> well uh, beyond my. Uh, <laughs> well, it was level. a it was a good insight because you're exactly right. Like it's it's easier to build a super fast network that everybody's going to lean on rather than somehow cram in all this computing power into product that objectively everyone wants as small as humanly possible, you know? So nobody's nobody's looking for the biggest VR goggles, you know what I mean? So, <laughs> the, the,
2: uh, the, the interesting thing, we, I mean, that's a firm belief that we have. I think it may be uh, if five years, maybe a decade from here, the the, nobody will talk about where the compute is coming from. It will almost become ambient. You won't even uh, you you won't even talk about that. Like it it will be there everywhere. It's all about what application you want to run, experiences you want to learn. So that's where we will ultimately land.
1: Yeah. One kind of the the caveman side of that is, you know, there were so many times when cell phones were relatively new is you Mm -hmm. you wouldn't have cell phone coverage and you'd have data gaps and, and all that. And now you go on a hike or you're in the middle of the mountains and you're like, Oh, I've, have, I've have LTE. Like I've, I've, you know, 5g still, you are like, yeah. man, how is this even possible? But you know, <laughs> in the future, it's just going to be, it's going to be intrinsic. It's just a part of yeah. life. Yeah. It's just going to be there. Um, yeah. well, awesome. Well, did you have any, uh, anything to let us know, anything we missed before we, uh, we end the recording?
2: No, it's, it's an absolute pleasure talking to you both. Uh, thanks again for the opportunity. Hopefully, um, you know, uh, some of the things we are doing maybe uh, of interest to uh, we are happy to kind of share more experiences, but yeah, no. Thanks, thanks a lot.
1: Yeah, awesome. Well and how can how can people reach out or learn more about the company?
2: Well they can reach out to me like uh Digim, my first name at the rate gridraster the company name dot com. So or they can go to my to our website and just kind of there's a contact form if anybody kind of reaches out there we'll ab- absolutely kind of follow up with the conversation
1: Okay. Well, awesome. Well, I'll put, uh, both the website and your email in the show notes. And then if anybody wants to reach out to us, uh, info, at Kodiakshack.com and then, uh, and then Kodiak is our website. Remember to like, and share and subscribe and do all the things that the social media stuff lets you do. And, uh, and thank you again to John for being on the show and, uh, and Bender for, uh, for killing it with them questions.
2: Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> no thanks a lot no uh pleasure talking to you both uh you all have a wonderful uh, day ahead
1: thanks yeah you, know. you too all right yeah
2: see ya. thanks for having me Great.